Welcome to another episode of Off the Shelf, Revolutionary Readings in Times of Crisis, where we examine undervalued or hidden scholarship, scholars, scholar activists, who all speak directly to this particular historical moment. I'm your host, Gus Wood, and I'm, I'm joined today by one of the most anticipated guests that we've had on Off the Shelf. We have a professor on here, Professor Stacy Robinson, who's going to introduce himself in a second, that is going to really bring to the forefront the kinds of questions that we want to be having about where are we going from 2021 and beyond. We have, a, we, have a, we have so many different issues at hand, and we talked about the political economy, we talked about it from the standpoint of trauma. We talked about it from so many different issues. We even had a global perspective. But to now come up with a visual arts perspective, something that, for those that know me, know that I am very big in making sure that we situate culture in a proper understanding of liberation. I don't think there's a better guest to have on that can help us to start getting at some of those questions. And so I'm just very grateful to have Professor Stacy Robinson here as our most latest guest on Off the Shelf. And before Professor Robinson introduces himself, we want to make sure listeners know that Off the Shelf is a collaborative project sponsored by the Humanities Research Institute at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, which people can find online at hir.illinois.edu. And so Professor Stacy Robinson, Tell the listeners about yourself. And, you know, one of my introductions wouldn't be good enough for you, good brother. So I'm going to let you <laughs> tell the people about who you are and the kind of work you're currently doing. Oh, uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, my name is Stacy Robinson. I teach graphic design and illustration in the uh, School of Art and Design. And uh, this is my, what, my sixth year here? <laughs> I think we're about seven. Got here in 16. Let me do the math on that. Yeah. yeah. And um, I'm a visual artist. I just came back from Harvard, uh, Hutchins uh, Fellowship, where I was a Nas Fellow when looking at um, hip hop as a, a, um, a system of governance where that we can use when the well-deserved reparations that we deserve, we will not receive. So I didn't get a lot of answers to the many questions. And I actually, uh, I, I have a lot more questions still than, than answers. But I, I actually turned that into an art practice. Say that again? I said, that's typically what happens when you bring up that big R word. Right, <laughs> you, you right. You get a lot right. more questions and very few answers from, from different people. <laughs> yeah, it, but it, it's, um, you know, I... And I'll talk about this a little bit later, but I turn, you know, all of my questions I turn into visual art that allows the audience to ask the same questions, right? So um, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I have all the answers, right? Because clearly I don't, but I can, I know how to, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of hip hop and I use hip hop as, as a framework for my artwork. So I'm gonna make you, I'm gonna make you throw your hands in the air and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you wave them like you just don't care. <laughs> now, you don't gotta like my beats, you don't gotta like my lyrics, but I'm gonna make you pay attention to them, you know? Well, Professor, it's, it's, it's tough to do that nowadays when you tell the, the youth today to put their hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care, that means they gotta put one, that they gotta put their phone up. And so <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's a difficult movement for them to make at this point. <laughs> right, and then if they take their hands off their pants, the pants gonna fall. Exactly. <laughs> Right. One hand on the one hand on the phone. I'm in my mid-30s, and even when I was growing up, that was always a fun time for us, too. So I often yeah. joke about the, 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 the youth hip-hop culture today where you go out and everybody's faces are glued to their phones right. instead no, of yeah, actually yeah. enjoying the music. But, you know, we're, we're joking those of you that are very young. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like to I like the clown. I'm, I'm 49, so I, I've officially become... That dude that's like, I don't understand this young people's music, what they talking about. <laughs> Back in my day, I'm like, oh, that's what my mother used to say to me. <laughs> I'm glad you actually bring it up, though, because that kind of gets us started in the conversation. Um, you know, one of the things that you, I, I hadn't prepared for this to be part of the first question, but since you brought it up, when we go back to the to, to summer 2020, 
when the George Floyd protests were popping off, you had a lot of the youth bringing up the idea of what you just said, that hip hop can be that central voice for liberation. You know, now there are those like me who believe that hip hop can be that medium that can be used as a, as a form. Because you had so many artists, whether they be hip hop or the pre-hip hop artists. I didn't go back to people like Muhammad Ali, who oh, would yeah. use lyrics to yep. get a point across. Mm-hmm. People like um, Nina Simone, mm-hmm. uh, all these other cats from back in the day. Even if you take it back to some of some of the uh, the ink spots, Cab Calloway, to the oh, blues, yeah. original blues musicians. Mm-hmm. In other words, that hip hop is continuing to be a black art form where there's a medium to transport a message. However, yep. because of what happened in the late 90s, early 2000s with the corporatization of the art form, Mm-hmm. And a lot of what's being dictated that's played in the mainstream does not speak directly to either our struggle or questions of liberation. And so that brings me back to your work, Professor Robinson, and some of the things that you read or some of the hip, the hip hop that has influenced a lot of your thinking in going into the development of a liberation ideology. Because like you, I don't have all the answers. And the reason we do off the shelf is to start posing the questions to get to the right answers. So mm-hmm. tell us about some of the some of the readings or some of the hip hop, some of the things from your past or present that has guided you in your development of those types of questions to get to the answer yeah. for these crises. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. I could definitely talk about that. So, you know, in, in trying to excavate these answers, right, you know, uh, I'm thinking about Sankofa, right? We, as we're going into the Afro future, <clears throat> our black liberated future, we have to purposely go back and get our past, right? We bring that, right? And, and, and it's just kind of formed the way that I think about, or I've started theorizing my own philosophies around how do we time travel, right? And, and I'm not the first person, it's actually very you know, ancestral for us to think about that in a, in a more uh, circular context. Well, I actually think about it more spherical and more three-dimensional um, as I'm developing this philosophy. So once again, I'm coming from a visual art perspective, but I grew up listening to the golden age of hip hop, right? Um, whether it was J. Rue the Damager, oh. whether it was, it was um, Public Enemy, of course, right? Whether it was X-Clan, you know, to the East Blackwoods is is still in my top 10 of favorite albums. Um, you know, but at the same time as I was collecting, because I collect vinyl, I still collect vinyl. I do as well. Yeah. I, you know, um, and but at the same time as I was collecting this and shouts out to the black women who started my my the bulk of my the primary source of my collection came from these two black women who are no longer with us today. And they were like, wait a minute, you're collecting an album. Why do you collect vinyl? I was like, well, I'm like, I fell in love with these original samples, this and that. This was before crate digging was a thing. Like this was like early nineties, like nobody was doing what I was doing. And these women gave me their album. So I'm saying all this stuff stuff to say that I started looking at the album covers and the album covers were powerful images, African mass, African belief system, you'd open them up. And, and I'm like, I'm thinking about um, a Cool in the Gang album. I'm trying to remember the name of the album. I'm digging to the side here, see if I could pull that album out right quick. I'm not even sure if I have it here. Um, Osa Bisa, right? I was looking at those album covers and it was interesting because there was a time, there, there was this time in history where even jazz artists were playing with ideas of the future. Um, Earth, Wind & Fire was of course doing it, Parliament Funkadelic. So I'm looking at Pedro Bell, I'm looking at Overton Lloyd, right? But I'm reading, at the same time I'm absorbing this artwork, I'm reading Jawanza Kanjufu. I'm reading Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. I'm reading John Henry Clark, right? I'm reading Chancellor Williams, right? So you know, Amos Wilson, like I'm, I'm reading Anthony Browder, like I, I like I still have the books, a lot of them I still have, right? So all of that stuff was influencing the work that I was making, but it was a culture in which the, it, it, I felt like artists 
because I know this is exactly what was happening because I now I know art history, right? So in the 80s and 90s, you're coming out of the Black arts movement as well, right? So those artists are coming, they were born, and you know, early enough to like hit the 70s in their, you know, 30s and 40s or whatever, and they're popular artists. So they're making that work that's speaking to the people, right? And so I'm absorbing this as a teenager, right? coming into adulthood and I'm reading these books and I'm making this artwork and I'm listening to this music. So I'm getting hit with through a multimedia perspective of black liberation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because I don't, I, you know, I, I think that might've been the first time I really said that, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's interesting. So, uh, but here's the thing, you're talking about the summer of 2020, right? You're talking about, um, Black Lives Matters is being painted in the streets, right? Um, You know, during during those warmer months, you saw some really very, some interesting things happening. Uh, I mean, I even gave a talk to Dropbox and it made more money than I ever made the talk before. Uh, Totally changed my practice in a way. I was like, oh, I need to start charging more. (laughs) But here's the thing, like I moved into this apartment on May 30th. It was a Saturday night, I believe, 2020. May 31st, I was trying to set up and, and, and I, I literally like the world was on fire and literally like the world was on fire. Oh, yeah. And that it was the most beautiful day outside. I'm talking about May 31st. Yep. It was a Sunday. I took and I took a picture of my lake view apartment. Like I have a lake out front fountain. Everything is beautiful. The world is protesting and I'm like. I don't know if I deserve a lake view, right? That might be a little, that might be too pretentious. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going somewhere, I promise. Mm -hmm. I talked to my mother, right? My mother talked me into, my my mama, shouts out to my mama, right? She talked me into getting this lake view. She was like, first of all, you work hard, you deserve the lake view. However, you're going to get the lake view because when I come, I want the lake view. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, and she's like, I know I deserve it. I'm like, yes, ma'am. All right. Yes, ma'am. Right. But here's the thing. I was challenged by that lake view. I'm looking at this beautiful lake. The world is on fire. I just moved into this beautiful apartment. I'm about to be on another fellowship. I had just come back from Harvard. And I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? And literally, I'm asking the universe, cosmos, universe, God, creator. I'm asking, what am I supposed to be doing? And I'm telling you, I always believe like that's, I just grew up believing in God and believing I could talk directly to God, right? So the answer I got was, don't worry about that. The struggle and the people will let you know your place. That's almost word for word, right? And literally people were hitting me up. Now I'm telling you, this was on Sunday. People were hitting me up right after that. They were like, oh, you're back in town? Oh, hey, Stacy, um, there's work to do. Hey, when yeah. are you gonna be ready for a conversation? Uh, hurry up and move in, we gotta talk. I mean, literally, like, as soon as I got that answer, literally my email started blowing up. A gallery in Buffalo reached out to me. They were like, hey, we wanna, uh, we, we gotta, we gotta cancel your your solo exhibition, but we have this really awesome opportunity. Uh, we got these 12 billboards. You think you want to do a billboard project? I know it's not, you know, a solo show. I'm like, yo, you know how many years my fan base have been asking me to do billboards? Came up with the dope, I, I, I still think it's one of the dopest projects I came up with. It was called Hashtag Black Matters. 12 yeah. images with 12 slogans, Hashtag uh, Black Health Matters, Hashtag Black Family Matters, Hashtag Black Education, uh, Education Matters, Hashtag Black Love Matters. And it was 12 of these joints with images. And they, they sparked the type of conversation that I was looking at. So I'm saying all that to say, why am I saying that? Because the work of the past, the people that I was reading that del- dove into our psychology, um, you know, reading Baldwin, you know, and, and Baldwin is still one of my favorite philosophers, right? And I'm pulling from all of this stuff, but I'm yeah. also going back to this stuff that I was reading when I was younger. And some of this stuff I'm just reading for the first time. And, and it's, and I'm, 
here's the thing now. Oh my goodness. This, this other thing that was happening at the same time. And I like to say it like this. I am very grateful for the quarantine. I am not grateful for the COVID, but I'm grateful for the quarantine. What happened to me happened to a lot of people. They were, a lot of people were forced indoors. Someone like me, I was on a fellowship. I couldn't even go to the office. So I had to stay home. I was getting paid. Rent was paid. Like, like there was a level of privilege that it, it totally changed the way I thought about it. I started thinking of myself as privileged, right? And I started making work that dove into these philosophies. Mm, really? All this stuff started coming together as a practice. And I started thinking about it um, through the middle passage, looking at the middle passage as a technology, like thinking about it like, like um, almost like a fiber optics, right? Like, like cause you, it's, it's, it literally is a system. Like if you look at the mapping system, wow, it's, yeah. it's wires. It's a system of wires, right? Even, yeah. even the sharks learn, like learn to follow the ships, right? And, and, and like they, they learned the system. Even the sea life followed the, 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 the middle passage, right? So I started thinking about, well, what technologies did we bring across the middle passage? In colonialism, what did we develop? And as I started digging into the roots of hip hop, I started digging into um, the the roots of dance hall and reggae, and the and you know you know um, and going into London, you know what I'm like 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 yeah. and I started putting together all of this stuff. I even read uh, Jeff Jeff Chang's book um, uh, "Can't Stop, Won't Stop." Yeah, he goes so yeah. deep into. I'm like, there's so much of that history that I did not know. Yeah, all of this protest and it's starting to come together, right? So that's kind of a long, like, I mean, I'm honestly like I'm putting all this stuff together, and and I'm still trying to like grapple with it because I believe there's a system to excavate, you know, through that. That yes. is the answer to our liberation. It is the answer to um, what I would say are the failures of the summer of 2020. Yeah. Like we got a lot of attention from corporations. Um, everybody was, was, you know, had a statement coming out, you know, um, Black Lives Matters, this is how we support this and that. But it, here's the thing, mm -hmm. none of that really led to our freedom. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. None of that led to our liberation. They were some really awesome sound bites and opportunities. Now, I'm sure. not saying that these corporations were not sincere. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I am, but I will, okay. <laughs> I, I will say, I will say, because here's the thing. I wonder how many people know how to grapple with this problem of white supremacy and racism, right? Sure. And, sure. and like a president of a company doesn't necessarily have the skill set to necessarily deal with something like that, right? True. However, but, let me, let me, let me get yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, a though. When Amazon uh -huh. puts up a Black Lives Matter sign in a statement, yeah. but then a couple of months later, a, a group of warehouse workers that are 85% black are fighting to unionize uh -huh. in Alabama, right? Mm -hmm. And what does Amazon do? They put out a bunch of anti-union propaganda, threaten to leave. They put out a bunch of stuff against those workers and they smash their mm -hmm. unionization efforts so that they're making less than minimum wage. So for, for Amazon and these, these other corporations like the NFL, Racism doesn't necessarily co coincide with exploitation mm -hmm. for them, when in fact, that's literally been the definition of blackness in America since we were stolen and brought here was right. the exploitation of our labor. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so we so, were, so yeah. That's, that's why I said that, although, yeah, like maybe they don't know how to solve the problem, but right. there are things that they could do to show that they are willing to examine the problem. Right, that they are true allies. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I don't think these companies are necessary allies. I believe that. Al and, I, and I definitely agree with you. Right. Allyship looks like a particular thing, just like, you know, this philosophy that I'm working with. Black liberation looks like a particular thing. Freedom looks like a particular thing. Afrofuturism looks like a particular thing. Right. And for me, I, I started examining um, every free nation of people have five things that they work with. They have sovereign land. They have a military that defends that sovereign land. 
right? Through a government that legislates their sovereign land, they have their own monetary system that allows for trade, commerce, um, and negotiations globally. And their God looks like them. That is five things that every free nation of people have that I've, I've found so far that I'm, I'm digging into this, right? My thing is this, a lot of us were very content with elect, electing the first woman vice president who was also a woman of color. Yet at the same time, when Ice Cube was proposing a, a plan of action, hey, let's come up with some, we, need, we, we gotta have, these are some questions. What is going, we are in America, right? Like, and what is going to be our relationship and, and what are the terms and conditions of our relationship, right? He was getting slandered for that, exactly. right? For being yeah, like, it doesn't, here's the thing. We've already seen when, when Democrats are in the office, we suffer and when Republicans are in the office, we suffer, right? I remember when we love Bill Clinton, we call him the first black president. Why? Because he went on Arsenio and played the sax. Yeah. Because he said he smoked weed. We called him the first black president, and yet we got three strikes laws, right? Like yep. we got and also like, the, the killing of the welfare welfare program that 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 just yep. tossed that hundreds of thousands of black people off the welfare rolls. And and then so when his wife runs for for uh, president, right? People are asking. It's like, yo, what's your plan? Like like. Part of this is your legacy. What are you going to do to end it? You want our vote. What are you going to do to end it? And these people, are, those of us who are asking the questions are not getting the support. So we're not, so we have good commentary. We have good sound bites. We want Black Lives Matters painted in the street. But I think liberation looks like a particular thing. Exactly. And I know this from being married. When you show, you got to come to the table with you say, okay, so we have an issue here. Let's talk about what this is. I believe it's this. I wrote these things down. You come to the table. You write down these things. What happened? You How did these? And then you negotiate. You figure out what's the root of the problem. Are you going to move forward in a relationship? Because you, now you have terms and conditions. But yeah. when you only, when you have no terms and conditions, then we're showing up to the government hoping that you know, the Biden-Harris administration will somehow have a, a moral or ethical obligation to us. Exactly. Thank you. That we haven't even set. And, and, and you know what? And I'm glad you brought up Baldwin earlier, because I think that's what's really key about why Baldwin is so instrumental today. It's because the idea of the vision, because as you mentioned before, if you allow the oppressors to set the standards for liberation, what do you think they're going to offer? And mm -hmm. so with Baldwin specifically, the idea of a vision to what we want is what I think you mentioned earlier in that it's no longer a commentary at that point, it's a critique, mm -hmm. right? You have to have a vision for making society better, right. which is the one thing that we were missing now they got close. They were close to something bubbling with the defund the police, meaning that they were thinking about it, right? Yeah. So they were yeah. thinking about it, That's but true. it never coalesced, it never coalesced yeah. into mm -hmm. a full on what does this look like in yeah. terms of you don't just get rid of the police, yeah. you don't just you don't just take their money away. Yeah. You have to have a vision for redistributing mm -hmm. the yeah. funds from the police into mm -hmm. the you know, and there was some great commentary around that. So for you with Baldwin, what are you getting out of that in relation to Baldwin? Because I love that you said that. I think that's exactly yeah. what we have to do. I, I think, you know, one of my favorite things and the thing that everybody loves to think about in reference to Baldwin is, and here's the thing with this, right? And, and it's a very logical question. And, you know, being away from teaching, just to be able to sit down and think and make art and, and absorb information to research, right? Mm -hmm. I was able to really start thinking about the relationship that white America has with the black America, right? Through government, through commerce. And I thought about 
I was like, wow, America literally cannot let us live in segregation because you get a Tulsa, you, I mean, a, a Greenwood, you get a Rosewood, right? You get move, right? So you, you will get these self-sufficient Black communities. People always say, well, why can't Black people unite? Black people always unite. We been, always unite. Been uniting, but, been uniting since the, the, the pre-Civil War days. We, the Maroon Society. Exactly. Right? We've always united. But whenever we unite, there is a government-sponsored effort with the, uh, with the, the, you know, enforced by the military, enforced through corporations to destroy our Black unity. That is a, that is factual information, right? Yep. Just dropped a graphic novel, the first graphic novel on the Tulsa Race Massacre. It just dropped less than a week ago on Tuesday. Can you, can you read the title for our listeners? Sure. Oh, absolutely. Pick that up. Absolutely. Uh, this book is called Across the Tracks, Remembering Greenwood, Black Wall Street, and the Tulsa Race Massacre. It's written by my really good friend, Alvern Ball, and illustrated by myself. You'll be able to pick it up in your local library. You, may, you might be able to pick it up in, in, in Target and Walmart, and, and you can definitely pick it up at Barnes & Noble. Um, shouts out to, to Abrams Books. For, for allowing for this project. Shouts out to uh, Megascope, which is a line of books curated by my really good friend, uh, John Jennings. And it is a black speculative imprint line of for books. For those that don't know too, in relation to this, the, the reason why this is such a monumental work that you're doing is that this is the 100th year anniversary it is. of the Tulsa massacre or yep. what we also call a program meaning a cleansing of a place, a structured, planned cleansing of a place of, of, of where, where a group of et, an ethnic group has settled and Absolutely. cleansing them out of the yeah. area. Like May 31st and, and through June 1st of, of this year. That's why they they were, we dropped that book so quickly. <laughs> we had to, because we had to meet the, we could not miss the the, the anniversary, uh, the centennial of the, yeah. of this. But I want to go back to Baldwin, right? So I was yeah. thinking about how, the relationship that white America has with us. They literally cannot allow us to, to live in segregation because we will become Black, affluent, and powerful. To, you know, the District of Greenwood had banks, they had an airport, they had hospitals, various types of businesses. Money is said to have circulated up to maybe 20 to 21 times before it left the Black community. That is power. But at the same time, they can't let us integrate of, because of fear of genetic annihilation um, and many other reasons. Genetic annihilation, shouts out to Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, who introduced me to that idea, right? That, that white America has a fear based on you know, the, 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 dark, the science of Darwin even and many others who looked at the, like the um, melanin, powerful genes, and and what happens when you know that black will eventually come out, right? So it might be your your grandbaby, your great grandbaby, and when you forgot, and then that black baby come out, and you're like, what was going on in the past, right? And it's these ideas that you know in the next generation, it is speculated by in the next generation that black and brown people will outnumber white people in this country. Now, like. We're, we're literally seeing Black death, the public spectacle of Black death happens on social media. I mean, right? and, and I'm glad you bring that up too, because I think that's one of the most, one of the scariest aspects when you think about the history of lynchings yes. and the social control mechanism of it. The yeah. idea is that, yeah, the, 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 you're bringing back, especially, I like the fact you brought up the, techn the technological aspect in relation to black history and liberation because versus in the past, lynchers would, would send photographs or put them on Christmas cards to pictures yep. oh, of yeah. the destruction of black bodies in lynching, right? And of course, yeah, the, yeah you're picking up the most famous book that I've had, I've had as, as a long time too, lynching, yeah. photog lynching photography in America. But yeah. also too, when you think about it nowadays, there is more of a kind of, and again, this is, we're thinking, it's a really, it's kind of a dialectic because at the same time that you're trying to get out that this is what the police and white vigilantes are doing by filming them destroying our people, 
you're also fulfilling a fantasy of what the white majority, so white supremacists would do as by showing the destruction of black bodies on film, which doesn't disturb them, but actually reifies what they what they've done in the past. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, this this is the power of imagery, and, and I have to lean into it because I'm a visual artist. I've been that my entire life, and I teach graphic design, I teach illustration. We're also going through a really interesting time where the, our government is trying to outlaw critical race design studies, like critical race studies, right? I say critical race design studies because that's my homeboy's John's theory um, and looking at, at uh, you know, the intersections of of um, you know psychology and media studies and and all these intersections that create you know uh, critical race design studies as a design practice right the way that we think about doing this and you know we're in this time where I'm 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 literally I'm thinking about how I'm going to teach in the future and I remember giving a I was on a podcast last week and it was the first time I, I think my mom ever showed up on one of my podcasts. And I was talking about uh, Across the Tracks, this graphic novel that just dropped. And someone asked me about, you know, so how are you going to teach in the future? You know, the government is outlawing this. And I'm like, I realized for the first time in my life last summer, summer of 2020, that I was not scared to die. And that in a particular way, I regretted making children, bringing children into this world. Because one, they have to inherit this world and I don't think I can fix it. And I don't, I can't protect them forever. I can't live forever. I can't protect them the way that I would want to. And in a particular way, I become touchable, right? So if I were by myself, I wasn't married, you know, if I wasn't married, didn't have children, whatever, I could say what I wanted to, it would only come down on me. Right. I said this in front of my mother. Right. And I'm like, I just told my mother in front of all of these people that I wasn't scared to die. And I'm going to teach critical race studies. I'm going to teach black liberation my, to my mostly white and Asian students. Most of them are women. I'm going to teach this. But this is also the reason I was hired, <laughs> right? <laughs> you actually teach, like, like, you know, to teach this stuff and, and, and to teach it from an art perspective, art and design perspective. You know, so I'm, I'm, the relationship that, that we have going back to Baldwin, you know, I still go back to that. I think out of all of that Baldwin is said, I go back to that. They need us. They cannot let us go. And they cannot, it is, they can't let us go and they can't keep us. It is literally, and I thought about this as the the best example I could possibly think of, of a toxic relationship over multiple centuries. Mm -hmm. They literally can't let us go and they literally can't live with us. That's right. They can't integrate with us and they cannot separate from us. What? What the hell? <laughs> what the hell? Right? It's it's it's, fa- it's it's truly fascinating, and that's why that's why I think that this is such a great conversation. Is because we're trying to actually dig deep into this, like you say, toxic relationship and how intricate. And I go back to your example of the wires. There are so many yeah. wires embedded yeah. in the relationship yeah. between the white ruling class or the white majority and black people that like you said to, to start untangling it as to why we can't separate versus why we can't integrate and all the other stuff we mentioned in this episode is so fascinating and just yeah i didn't mean to interrupt you, you but you just you really no, did something there with that no you hitting me with stuff man because oh, so imagine like now you got like imagine okay so let me tell you what I'm doing right now. This will make, hopefully this will make some sense. I believe like, and I said this earlier, I believe that our freedom looks like a particular thing. I think that many smart black intellectuals, I will say it like this. I truly believe we're purposely dodging 
the conversations when we're talking about intersectionality mm -hmm. we're always we're black we're always going to intersect intersect with other uh, other other you know other ways of of, of identification like um you know so for example though right so we are black and religious my thesis dealt with that and dealt with the fact that okay now i am black with an mfa what does that mean right um I'm black and as an artist, we weren't brought to this country to be artists. We were brought here to be craftspeople, not artists, right? There's a difference. So, right, I believe that in our intersectional conversations, we're doing some interesting work in reference to sexuality and gender, right? Mm -hmm. You know, people are choosing to identify beyond binaries. That's very interesting, right? Okay. You know, people are choosing to to identify different sexually, right, and practice sexually. Okay, right. Yet in these intersections, all of that intersection with blackness, and nobody is talking about how do we define blackness. Exactly. Very good. Very good point. Very good. It's an intersection. I like to do the Wakanda X, right? The exactly. That yeah. freedom. That, 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 that intersection. Those are the two that are often, there are two of those that are often left out of intersectionality in its current form, mm -hmm. blackness and yeah. class. And class. Class right? is a thing. Those are two. Yeah, we go, Whenever yeah. you go to any intersectionality panel yeah. or re yeah. work on intersectionality, yeah. those are the two things that yeah. if they're there, they're just there for you know, yeah. they're, they're just there. They're not they're there, right? They're like, into, right. It's like an abstract is, painting. <laughs> so how was, so again, again, again yeah. I think you're perfectly, I think you're perfectly right. And how does it really, how are we being fair to intersectionality if mm -hmm. intersectionality isn't really intersectionality mm -hmm. because you're either downplaying or erasing yep. two very central features to yep. the section. I and I, that is purpose. I think that is by design. Thank right? you. That, a lot that, of people, I, I agree. Listen, I agree. 100%. A lot of smart people. A lot of smart people yeah. trying to sell books. They and, are. And, and publishers ain't trying to publish. Hey, the answers to black liberation. They're not trying to publish that. <laughs> but you can talk it's, about it's 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 all day. You can talk about sexuality and gender all day. Right. Here's the thing. When and I, I like to say it like this. And it, here's a, you can look for the book. So it's not like I'm making this up. No, right? you're not. No. Right. The other thing that we're not defining in our blackness, because once you define your blackness, the most logical step is then you have to define what your liberation is and what your freedom is. What is your nationhood? Right. You cannot have that conversation without going to this other place. You cannot. Exactly. So exactly. it's easy to talk about, well, the roots of the problem are misogyny and patriarchy. No, it's not. It's white supremacy and racism. That everything else falls under white supremacy and racism, everything else. The ways in which black people are surviving, some of us are using patriarchy. Some of us, here's the thing, a lot of religious people truly believe that men are supposed to lead families in particular ways and they want that, right? My thing is, I don't care how someone's house governs, as long as the house governs in the way that we plan for it to govern and is moving forward. I Listen, I like washing the dishes. I hated, I hated cleaning the bathroom. So my ex was like, yo, I hate washing dishes. I'll be happy to clean the bathroom. I'm like, bet. Kitchen was always clean. Bathroom was always clean, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't... It, Whatever, whatever system my, my ex was better with the money. She handled the money, right? It's whatever it's moves it's the relationship you. is what we need to be thinking about and doing. Here's the thing, and I like to talk about this on panels in reference to intersectionality. January 6th, white supremacists literally broke into the government. Yeah. yeah. Right? On right. 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 an assassination attempt mm -hmm. to kill black and brown folks who are planning, who are, are, are thinking about, you know, equality, equity, whatever, right? And, and the vice president. And the vice president, absolutely. Yes. They broke in to do this, to, to as an assassination attempt with the help of the police, right? Here's the thing, uh, the argument I make about intersectional thinking. Those people who broke into the government, I like, I love to say it like that. I guarantee they fell along all kinds of areas of intersectionality. Very much so. But they unified yep. under the philosophy of white supremacy 
with the systemic actions of racism. White right. supremacy is a philosophy. Racism is a system of action, right? Here's the thing. When the police pull us over, we driving and the police pull us over, they do not say, excuse me, my name is officer so-and-so. With this yeah. gun in your face, I'm going to let you know, I'm going to kill you in about 30 seconds, no matter what you do. But before I do that, I'm taking a survey. I would like to know, where do you fall along the lines of, of gender and sexuality? How do you racially, how do you sexually identify? How do you, what is your gender? What is the highest level of your edu education? And I also would like to know, uh, how, do you, how do you identify through religion? They don't take a survey. They understand that no matter where you fall in, uh, along those intersections, black and brown people make babies. Right. They don't care. They don't care about your gender and sexuality, like because queer people make babies, too. And in the next generation, we will outnumber them. Yeah. They are taking the most extreme measures to continuously destroy us. This is about genetic annihilation and, uh, and either their part or ours. And I, and I love the fact that you brought up that example, because that's the one thing that it seems to be very difficult for people to recognize because they're so wrapped up in the identity that these are just simply white people who protested the government. Like, no, they actually, as you mentioned, they were across all class levels. You had yep. some CEOs of companies there, you, all the way to undergraduate college students, right? Different sexuality, genders, you had, you had all different groups there, but they had a goal. Yeah. They had a goal in mind, right? Right. And so, yep. again, that's and then you flip it to the other side with my big issue with how we protest either on the left or in general is we don't we don't coalesce around a goal. We spend so much time fighting over identity yep. instead of actually saying we are yep. all oppressed yep. by this specific thing. Sure, yep. our identities will intersect and there are differences that we must acknowledge. However, to get to the goal of liberation, yeah. we have to set a firm goal that we can all collectivize around. Mm -hmm. You and see? So I'm glad you brought that example because that is exactly what happened on January 6th. That's exactly white supremacy what and white supremacists, whether you call it the nativist movement in the, in the 1800s and early 1900s, or you call it white supremacy or white nationalism, the Nazi party, fascist party, et cetera, to what they have now with the alt-right garbage. Yep. Yep. They are all aligned around goals and objectives. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and let me say this, right? Let me let me say this thing because, and I'm only saying this for the soundbite because people listening, somebody's gonna you know, say this. So I like to just say this just to get it out the way, right? Because okay. somebody will hang up on this. And so let me just say this. We have to fight for all of our black lives. All black lives matters. I am not with, with the, the, the killing of queer folks and then that goes unnoticed or, exactly. or you know, none of that. We have to protect all of our queer lives, right? All exactly. of our black lives matter, right? I believe that. That's true. That's not just for the soundbite. But I got to say it because somebody will listen to this Black Liberation Talk and will dismiss that because that particular thing wasn't said. Right. No, but you no, but you have to you have to say that though. Because have, the thing yeah. is is that that's literally what my issue was with the way the Black Lives Matter moment splintered is that because it was a fight over who deserves to be talked about yep. under the exactly. Black Lives Matter banner. Yep. Absolutely. In fact, no, it's about all black people surviving Absolutely. this onslaught of yep. racial terror. And, you and then we should not have be to fighting say over. There should be factionalism. That's really what my argument is about the moment of Black Lives Matter is that it became a factional argument Absolutely. that did nothing but actually erode any progress of collectivization yeah. in the long run. Yeah. And that's the scariest part of what the white supremacists or anybody that's against Black power recognized mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. the last six years is that yep. they can't fracture us on the idea of a hierarchy, a hierarchy yep. of who deserves more Absolutely. within Black America. Absolutely. And that's why I said it. Exactly what I said. Let me, just, said it. let me just say it, right? Because people will just hang up on that and they won't hear the, like, we need freedom, right? Exactly. All of us need freedom. 
<laughs> right? So you gotta say it like uh, almost, no, I was gonna quote a hip hop lyric that would just have to be, you know, edited out again, <laughs> you know? But I believe, like I said, I believe that liberation looks like a particular thing. I believe that black, and, and when I, I say liberation, intentionally that particular word yes. because we have to take our liberation we cannot ask the government to set parameters on what that is going to be my thing is we can celebrate you know my, my daughter this was her, her her first election she helped to elect the first black woman president right um and you know that's a beautiful moment in history. It was odd because after, uh, I don't know how many, how many, well, I'm trying to remember how long was it before we actually got the, the, the definitive, like, okay, Biden won, right? How yeah, long was that? It was after, like, yeah. Okay, was it two weeks? Yeah, it felt, I mean, by the time of all of that happening, when I would call, like most of my friends are, are, are black women. So I like, yo, how do you feel right now? I even called my ex. Hey, how you feeling right now? You know, and everybody said the same answer, relieved, right? They felt relief after watching the news for two weeks and like who, you know, who's gonna win? What does this mean? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But a hundred days, you know, we're, we're past a hundred days now. But 100 days post that, we, we have no plan for Black freedom. Exactly. You know, so my thing is, sure, we can elect, you know, the first Black woman president. That's history. If, if that inspires you, that's wonderful. But it is not, you still, we're in a relationship. And this is what Ice Cube was saying. It was like, whoever's in office, we need to have terms, we need to have conditions. Exactly. Yeah. Whoever is in office. And, and that stands true now. Now a lot of us are, you know, satisfied maybe that, that you know, Black women have led in this particular struggle to, to you know, get Trump out of office. That's wonderful. It's, it's, it's wonderful that, that that happened. That's yeah. great. But the next step is, okay, so now we're in a new relationship. What are the terms and conditions of our relationship? Right? Here's the thing. Uh, I, and I'm, I'm, I, I like using that word because I'm, I haven't always been good at relationships, right? <laughs> and I've learned, I was like, okay, before I get into a relationship again, let me spend some time, work on me. Because that's what the sisters always say, right? Y'all yeah, yeah. need to go work on yourselves <laughs> before y'all get, I'm like, hey, you're right. Let me go do that work, right? So what I've learned is that when I get into a relationship, there need to be terms and conditions. I need to know, you need to know what you committing to. You need to know, I need to know what I'm committing to. And in this government, it doesn't function too much outside of that. Like, I feel like it's a very logical, like you look at other nations who, who deal with America, there are terms and conditions. Exactly. They can do that because they are free sovereign nations. Right? They might, we, they might have some, you know, we might have some relationship with them, like some deals with them and they have deals with us and we can't necessarily split those ties, right? Like our economy is, is structured on, on our relationships with other countries. But when it comes to black people, what we give is our culture and our bodies. We give them music, we give them entertainment. Like Jay-Z said, all we got is sports and entertainment until we even, right? right? <laughs> that's what we, that's literally what we give them. So we've gone from the plantation of doing this and we've gone to the basketball courts and the football fields and then the, to sell out arenas doing these things. I don't necessarily have as many answers as I have a lot more questions, right? I'm looking at friends, you know, I'm looking at wretched of the earth, right? Right. It is, yeah. is, 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 you know, Fanon is, you know, a sociologist dealing with these same things, right? But he's not wrong because every nation of people have had to commandeer their liberation. Exactly. Exactly. 
And I, you know, just, just personally, I think that that, you know, I think that that's the best way to kind of close out this episode. Yeah. That, Man, there's so much more to say. Thanks, bro. I'm sorry? <laughs> no, I was like, there's so much more to say. Oh, don't I'm, worry, though, because again, oh this, is, this is only season one. So I will okay. be, I would more, I would be more than honored to, to invite you back for a future episode. So I would be dig even deeper. Because I do think that we have to get to that point to where what does it mean to commandeer your own liberation and right. actually map out those are the kinds of conversations that nobody is having to a larger extent right now because of exactly what you mentioned is that Ice Cube, because of the way he did it in relation to the Trump stuff, he was automatically dismissed when he brought up the issue of we need to create a plan and a vision. Right. And there's some other things in his plan that I thought were a little problematic as well. But the mm -hmm. fact of the matter is that he did start from an overall point mm -hmm. of we need to we need a plan and a vision. Right. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. that's what we're going to be hammering out as yeah. we move forward with this yeah. podcast. Yeah. And this is why off the shelf is so important. And so I just want to be the first to again thank you so much for making this such an incredibly lively episode and very timely, in fact, because again. We're after 100 days, and like Ooh. you said, there ain't no plan yet. <laughs> There's not a plan. Yeah, yeah. You know, yo, thank you for having me. You know, I know I talked a lot. <laughs> you know? Which is what we want. This is, this is what we want to make sure everybody knows that Stacey Robinson is, is a leading intellectual artist in, in, in trying to dig at the questions about Black liberation, which Absolutely. is what we all should be concerned with if we're at this level, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's a collective conversation, you know. Exactly. Definitely when we get back, we got, oh, man, there's so much. I'm going to stop talking. There's so much more to talk about. Save it for next time. I'm Definitely sure this is going to be one of our most popular episodes. So best believe they're going to be wanting you back, though. So well, you know what? Let me let me throw out the socials right quick. So y'all can hit yes. me up on, on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, too, but Instagram is Stacy A. Robinson. Um, S-T-A-C-E-Y-A Robinson. Y'all hit me up on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I, I can delete some friends for y'all. So look me up, uh, Stacey Avian Robinson, the A-V-I-A-N Robinson, uh, Stacey Robin, Avian Robinson on that. And I'm on Twitter as well at Prof S-A Robinson, P-R-O-F-S-A Robinson on, on Twitter as well. I don't check that as much. But, you know, I would love to have some extended conversations with people because I believe that we build this world together, you know. I agree. So, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, thank again, you, for, no, thank you for, 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 for coming on. And just this, this has just been so enlightening for me. I always learn something and always gets my mind just really flowing when I went every episode. And, of course, this is this has done the exact same thing. Um, this was yeah, great. So, yeah. So thanks. So again, listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Off the Shelf, Revolutionary Readings in Times of Crisis. We will see you next time. Another episode. Stay, stay safe. And again, thank you, Professor Stacy Robinson.